It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So happy to be here. So happy to be with you. And thanks for being with us all week long. We're privileged to be coming to you from Panama City right now uh, in Florida. We're going to spend the day with Lee Bryce to do that. We had to spend the night with him last night, and we're lucky enough to have a great affiliate out here and we're going to be uh, talking about that throughout the day in Florida, where the places uh, you, you have no idea there was a pandemic here, uh, wherever you go. Uh, if you look at the bars, you look at the restaurants, uh, you look at the beaches, uh, no idea that there are pandemic here, except for I think a lot of people are here on vacation early in May. Uh, meanwhile, we just got this in 266,000 jobs added. Sounds like a lot, but it's a lot less than people thought we'd have. And unemployment actually ticked up slightly to 6.1%. And on, on a couple levels, I think the Biden administration is happy about it. They're trying to sell us on $4 trillion more dollars infused into the economy. And you can't do that if the numbers are so good. So the numbers are good. They should be fantastic because people are getting back to work. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we've given people so much money they're not working. Because uh, it costs more. It costs, uh, it costs more money to go back to work. And you get paid more not to work. And we're going to have labor shortages until September, number one. And, uh, and number two, I think a lot of this spending has got people very nervous. When you look at the cost of lumber, we talk about food and gas. Did you go shopping lately? Have you uh, bought a gift lately? Have you, have you had to put a, a room on your house? Everything is more expensive now, whether you're a contractor or a consumer, and uh, it is because we put so much money into the system. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, I'm sick and tired of corporate America not paying their fair share. And it doesn't cost anybody anything and deprive anybody of anything they have earned or deserve. Uh, Blowing it. A massive bounce back of our economy being jeopardized by the left-wing agenda as we have yet to get a clear answer on spending, on taxes, and the plans that promise to change the nation forever. Number two. The president has decided to end America's involvement in our longest war. And we're going to do just that. And so far, less than one weekend, the drawdown is going according to plan. Great. For us, perhaps, for now, maybe. Afghanistan. You may be in favor of ending this so-called endless war, but you're also going to hand the keys over to the Taliban, and you're forbidden to complain about it as the current regime begs for financial support and air support. It is pathetic. Number one. What percentage of the public is focused on the border? A much smaller percentage than who's focused on the pandemic and the economy. So that may be maddening, but, you know, that's what we try to do. Right. Yeah, that is uh, Jen Psaki talking to David Axelrod on the Axe Files podcast. Border crisis, the deceptive messaging that surrounds it. Why this is a story the Biden administration can't shake and a reality they can't avoid. And keep in mind, it was just about a month ago when you had Martha Raddatz and all the networks down at the border saying, what is going on here? Look at the overcrowding. Not the outrage that we saw with the Trump administration had a brief period when they were trying to find their footing, but they never denied it was a crisis. They never denied they had the wrong messaging. They never denied, uh, they never denied that they had to come up with a better plan. So therefore, I think the criticism uh, is not the same coming from this show and other shows because 
We saw a president scrambling to get an answer to the question. Here we see a president refusing to go to the border, doesn't want to talk about it. You hear Jen Psaki take, take, uh, tell David Axelrod people don't care about it, which is flat out wrong. And if they don't, they're not educated on it. It's not just about border cities. But number three, you have a situation where the vice president's been given them the mantle, go fix it. Like Vice President Pence was told, go handle the pandemic. No one thought Vice President Pence, even Vice President Joe Biden, wasn't trying to fix it. You may disagree with the methods. The vice president, currently, the borders are not that interested in getting answers to all that. Listen to Jen Psaki in the messaging. She thinks the problem is some of the questions aren't what the American people care about. Cut one. What percentage of the public is focused on the border? A much smaller percentage than who's focused on the pandemic and the economy. So that may be maddening, but, you know, that's what we try to do. Really? Okay. Uh, I think you're right. The pandemic to a degree. But the good news is you don't have to tell John McCain this because when John McCain was running for president against Barack Obama, uh, the reason why he got the nomination is because he was one of the few in support of the surge and the surge worked. Iraq was a uh, crisis and the President Bush took the big push and got John McCain's backing and they uh, put together a surge that military experts are going to be talking about for generations. John McCain was behind that. He was for it. But by the time John McCain got the nomination and the RNC uh, uh, formalized it, the number one issue was the economy. And no one cared about the surge anymore. That's just the way it is. When you have a situation that Jen Psaki's talking about, people are caring about the pandemic. But as it wanes, as the numbers continue to dive, as we get back to work, they're going to care less and less about the pandemic. We're going to move on and we're going to say, what is going on at the border? Why are there so many kids in my kids' classroom? Why is this costing so much money? The number is already $3 billion, a low estimate on how much it's costing us. And then when you see the spread of the pandemic in these border regions because no one's testing, uh, that's more than a little bit of a problem. The other problem the administration has, it's not just Republicans. It was Congressman, Democratic Congressman Henry Cuellar that said the Donna facility, they showed you a picture that it looked like it was empty. It is not. They had kids in the nearby tent. And then you have Kristen Sinema, the, the senator from Arizona, who desperately wants to hold on to that seat as of four more years, said this to Fox 10 yesterday, cut six. It's clear that not enough is being done. Arizona is bearing the brunt of this crisis because of the federal government's failure to address immigration issues over the last three decades. We haven't yet heard back from the Biden administration, but we continue to call on them for the urgency of the crisis we face. Give her credit. I mean, she, she is not up for re-election. She's a Democrat. Most of them sing from the same hymn, uh, same hymn book, but she is not. And I give her credit, and I think her and uh, Joe Manchin, even though people have little faith in him, I do have a little bit more than you have. I think that Kirsten Sinema is doing what's right. Plus, how do you go back to Arizona and pretend there's not a problem? I mean, how does Senator Mark Kelly, the responsible astronaut who, has, uh, who knows the reality on the border, knows he's going to be up in a year and a half, how does he pretend like there's no problem there? Why is he not calling a press conference? He could actually affect the direction of the country. He could force the Biden administration uh, to get back to work. So uh, Secretary of Home Homeland Security Secretary uh, Mayorkas was talking about this uh, earlier. And he's talked about the need for putting back together families that he says Donald Trump separated three years ago. That, to me, is unbelievable. You have 22,000 unaccompanied minors, but you're playing politics, trying to get a handful of families, and you say reuniting them. And guess what you might be doing? 
taking that unaccompanied minor and go sending for their family and putting them all here. How is that right? Cut three. Will there be an investigation into members of the Trump administration over this policy? We're right now focused on what we achieved just a couple days ago, reuniting the first four families. Accountability would not deliver necessarily justice for just the families. Listen, um, we'll leave that here. Uh, it is the unbelievable that that would be a question. If you're a reporter and you're sitting there with the Homeland Security Secretary, you're worried about an investigation on something that happened a year or two or three years ago with the former Attorney General Jeff Sessions made that idiot move, move to say let's separate their families and see how that goes. That obviously was a huge mistake. I don't think anyone doesn't acknowledge that. Even the former first lady said, you got to be kidding me, uh, to her husband. You can't separate kids and parents. And they stopped it. And for you to have that be a question shows a flat-out agenda for journalists. You shouldn't be talking about Donald Trump. You have 22,000 unaccompanied minors. You have 2,600 that arrived last Sunday in the Rio Grande uh, Valley of Texas. And you're asking about what happened three years ago? Can we get an investigation? Sickening. So, Admiral James Tarvitas is going to be coming up shortly. Then, Inside Washington with Kevin Cork uh, from the White House lawn. We'll take both those things as well as your calls at one 408 7669 We're privileged to be coming at, uh, coming to you from uh, our great affiliate here uh, in Florida, News Talk 101. So uh, the, we have these great facilities. And I got this thing called breakfast. I have not had even seen a breakfast at this hour since 1984. Uh, so I am really being spoiled because I did not have to work Fox and Friends today. Uh, back in a moment, you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The president has decided to end America's involvement in our longest war. And we're going to do just that. And so far, less than one weekend, the drawdown is going according to plan. At the same time, we are shifting to a new bilateral relationship with our Afghan security partners. where we'll work toward our common goals in some new and different ways. Well, uh, that was uh, 
political speech from a former general, now Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. And we're working on a different relationship. Did you read the New York Times yesterday? It, they are begging for air support. There's so, so many restrictions to air support. It's hard to imagine us continuing to be effective in that way. The Taliban are taking more yardage by the day, killing people every day. You think it's not going to be a couple of years before we turn the keys over to that uh, renegade uh, organization who are going to take over a country, not by popular vote, but because they, they have the guns and weaponry in the backing. We're leaving. Uh, Admiral James Stravitas joins us now, the 16th Allied Supreme Allied Commander there. He led his own surge operations, knows Afghanistan better than almost anybody listening. He's also got a best-selling book out talking about the challenge of China, 2034, a novel of the next world war, which people are using as a handbook. Admiral, I, I cannot tell you how disconcerting it is, and I'm on the outside watching what's about to happen in Afghanistan. Do you think the American people are ready to, to, to put the Taliban back in power and are comfortable with that? I don't think they would be, Brian, if they fully understood the stakes here. And, uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember 1975, Vietnam, a collapse. It took 30-plus years before we dug out of that hole, and that was a nation that didn't try and export terrorism. So take the events of 1975 in Saigon and add uh, deadly terrorist groups who want to do nothing but harm the United States. It's a witch's brew, and I'm deeply concerned, and I think any senior military officer who has fought in Afghanistan would be as well. How hard is it to get over maybe the injuries, mental and physical, that you ex- that you experienced in Afghanistan? When you look over and you see the Taliban back in charge, you might be saying to yourself, what did I do? What did I sacrifice? Why? I think that is certainly part of the feelings of many of the hundreds of thousands of Afghan veterans and, of course, of the families of the couple of thousand that we lost there who died, killed in action, and the tens of thousands, Brian, who have life-changing wounds. You know, I was a very senior commander. I didn't carry that kind of personal risk, but uh, I certainly know and deeply understand the feelings of those who did, and particularly those who made those sacrifices. So I think it's got to be a pretty bitter moment for many of them. You know, and we know that General Milley was not for this. You hear it in Lloyd Austin saying the president's drawdown is going according to plan. He didn't say ours. Maybe that was a mistake or maybe it was intentional. Here's what Robert Gates said about it, the former Secretary of Defense, Cut 15. You now have two presidents in a row, one Republican, one Democrat, who have committed to getting all of our forces out this year. Uh, I probably would have uh, uh, taken the same position as uh, General Austin or Secretary Austin and the Joint Chiefs of Staff in recommending a, uh, that we keep our a small contingent there. But it was a very tough decision. And, and the fact is, even with our forces there, uh, the Taliban are gaining ground every single day. And they are. And if you read some of these accounts, how bad is it that Gahani has to beg for help and for aid to continue? Uh, I, I, you know what it's going to bother me, Admiral? People are going to be walking around, you know, uh, who don't live this every day like you live it. And like these are your friends that fight it. And the people that uh, co- you used to command are, are in there and no longer there. They're going to be like, yeah, we just gave that away. That, that Joe Biden and that Donald Trump, uh, they made some bad moves. No, you could stop it. If the American people understood the stakes, they would they could force 
Joe Biden to say it's not worth the risk of giving away that country. Every day that we're there, more people are westernized, more women have rights. China stays at bay. Iran stays at bay to a degree. We have a uh, we have intelligence in the region. Just final thought on this. I don't think, judging by what I'm reading, I don't think the, this current regime is going to last the year. I think they'll last uh, longer than a year, Brian. But um, the long-term outlook in, the, say, two to three to four-year period is not good. And again, we can look back at Vietnam. We basically pulled the vast majority of our troops out around 1972, and the government in Saigon held on until about 75, and it's worth looking at why. The why is because we supported them financially. We did provide advisors. Um, we've got to continue to do those two things. If we do that, and when I say advisors, these can be contractors um, if, if we're adamant that we're going to pull all the active duty military out. But it's going to be a hard-fought thing inside Afghanistan. And, and Brian, I keep trying to bring people back to why did we go there in the first place? We went there, and you're right there in New York City because the al-Qaeda knocked down the Twin Towers, killed 3,000 Americans, and we decided to go root them out. And and the problem is it's like fighting a forest fire. Uh, We put out the majority of the fire, but there's still embers on the ground, and I'd I'd extend that metaphor today that there are fires in Afghanistan, and it it is, in my view, a small number of troops, 3,000, 5,000. As you'll recall, when I commanded that mission as NATO commander, Brian, we had 150,000 troops there. This is a very small commitment. However, the president has made that decision, so now I hope that we can figure out how to go over the horizon if we have to, that we can uh, have bases in the region, that we can do training outside of Afghanistan, that we can have civilian trainers and contractors in, that we have a strong embassy, and that our CIA can help carry part of the load. But I'm worried. Yeah. uh, Admiral, are you still there? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, 2034, uh, people are referring to this, uh, sadly, about something that could happen, this confrontation with China. And I'm just reading today, I always try to look for these little signs that show uh, the worry is warranted. And look at what China is doing, building out bases in Africa. It seems like we're always playing catch up. We're not able to stay ahead of them. The Belt and Road Program, well, we need our own. We got to start having some influence in different regions to get control of ports because China is. What's it going to take for us to understand that this thing is a global fight everywhere, any, uh, anyhow, and that we got to stay a step ahead? Um, the good news, Brian, is that that light is going on on both sides of the aisle. This is one of the very few issues that you can see people on both sides are beginning to get. But, you know, you are correct to point out infrastructure, bases, maritime routes, but it's also going to be artificial intelligence, robotics, cybersecurity. Um, there are significant confrontations coming in, in those worlds that we talk about in the book 2034, and that has to be part of the calculus as well. We, we need to wake up, um, to, to take a metaphor back from 9-11, if you will, this is the looming tower of our times. Absolutely. Admiral, uh, congratulations on the book. I know you wanted to be successful. I don't know if you, you knew it was going to be a handbook uh, to know what China's up to. <laughs> And try to project uh, how to stop them. 2034, a novel of the next world war. Admiral James Stavridis, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Brian. Have All right. A-
I'll talk to you soon. Coming up next, Inside Washington. Uh, Kevin Cork's going to be joining us to talk about this new infrastructure bill right now. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Everything we're, we're gone through is now the, so sort of the, the blinders have been taken off the American people. They know how bad a shape things are in. But it creates, if we move, all the economists, including the liberal as well as conservative think tanks, point out, well, we'll create up, if we pass this job, create up to 16 million good-paying jobs. Not $8 an hour, $12 an hour, $15 an hour, prevailing wage jobs. What's he even talking about? Uh, he should not be talking about numbers ever. He, 16 million good-paying jobs? First he kills jobs, and now he says we're getting 16 million back, and there's not one person in America who had blinders on. We were all told to stay inside and let the economy come to a crashing halt. It was the only way to survive. We'll debate on whether that was the right move or not. Okay, the debate's in. It was wrong. Kevin Cork joins us now from Washington. Fox News is uh, one of our top correspondents ever. Kevin, welcome back. <laughs> Always great to be with you, my brother. And and for the folks at home, look, we get it. You're a famous guy. You're a busy guy between everything you're doing. But I'm going to take a moment to say, brother, happy birthday, man. Hey, thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're, awesome. we're, on, the, we're on the road. Uh, we're on the road in Panama City where News Talk 101 doing a uh, we had one day to catch up to spend a day with Lee Bryce arguably the hottest country star in America we went on the awesome uh, we went on a uh, a bonfire last night where he's with his guys where he creates so much of his music and then today he's dedicating his school and tonight he does a concert so even though it's on my birthday you got to work through it and put up with that terrible beat reporting that you have to deal with uh, you, you cannot you cannot walk away from that opportunity but uh, um, we had 266,000 jobs uh, that came across about an hour ago Kevin, why aren't people happy about that? Yeah, it's actually significantly less robust than a lot of people predicted. A couple of things are actually happening right now in the economy. I think the most obvious is while people are eager to return to work, policymakers, and I'm, I'm pointing the finger in particular at some of these states, you know, like Michigan, which continue to uh, manifest these draconian rules about what you can do, where you can go, and what's really happening ultimately, Brian is people are simply not getting back to work as quickly as they would like. I know that you're going to hear reporting for the next couple of days from actual job creators who are saying, if you'll just get out of the way, yep. hello, government, we can make this happen. If you let us open up and throw open our doors and welcome people back, they'll come back. But what's happening, unfortunately, is I think as the jobs report really lays out, is you're getting tepid job growth in part large measure due to bad policies around the country. What happened is, uh, whether it was uh, in, the best, in the best spirit or not, is you gave people unemployment, you extended unemployment, then you gave them a supplement, and 46% of small businesses say they are understaffed and can't get people to work. They can't even get people to apply, let alone people walking away from civil service jobs like cops and firefighters because they're no longer looked at with great prestige and the risk is looked at as too great. It's a circumstance i didn't predict kevin i didn't predict that government was going to stop people from getting jobs because they're paying people money that we don't have for them not to work 
Well, yeah, and they're just printing the money. I mean, don't kid yourself when they say there are no inflationary fears. Yeah, that and I have a bridge over in Brooklyn I'd love to sell you. The truth is they're printing money left and right, and you made an important point. If I pay you more to sort of post up, as we say uh, in the neighborhood, and just stay home uh, versus getting out there and getting on your hustle, yeah, you're going to stay home. That's most everybody. And that's really what the the failure of some of the policies that we're seeing rolled out by the White House are really creating. Yeah, I want you to hear uh, the president is is trying hard to get his infrastructure bill to pass. Now, I want to get your opinion on this. Republicans came across and said when it comes to infrastructure, we're really we think 600 billion is the number. When he says he wants infrastructure, does uh, President Biden said 2.4 trillion and he says he wants to deal. Can you cut through it and tell me what you think the practicality of that is? Well, two things. One, it's never going to happen uh, in either case. If you're looking for a $2 trillion package uh, for, and I'm using air quotes when I say infrastructure, which includes lots of social infrastructure, and you and I can debate the merits of uh, that determination or that, that definition. Uh, if you're looking for that, it's just probably not going to happen. I'm going to say 99.9% because you have a lot of uh, what I would consider moderate Democrats who simply aren't going to go along with that. So if you say, can we boil it down to the $600 billion, meet somewhere in the middle? Yeah, it's probable. But I would say if you're Mitch McConnell, you're going to be very careful about making deals with this White House. Hold their feet to the fire. The midterms are coming up. And I think he can sense the temperature in the room. And that is people are cooling, generally speaking. Don't Don't kid yourself about some of the polls, which are in many, many cases, incredibly skewed to one side. But I think writ large, Americans are cooling to the idea of this sort of overly progressive, spend lots of money policies that they're seeing coming out of the White House. And I think if you're going to make a deal, if you're the Biden White House, you probably want to come back down closer to that 600 to maybe $800 billion range. Listen, I, I tell you what, if he does that, uh, the whole cold human infrastructure doesn't exist when we, no one's buying that spin or that word. Uh, the right. word gymnastic. Uh, but if he does come on a compromise bill, that might be the best thing he could do for himself, the president, politically. Because uh, I think Joe Manchin actually put in an editorial. He's not going along with this. You had Senator Mark Kelly say the same thing. He's up for re-election in 18 months. And Kirsten Sinema might be, might be along with it. They think it's too much. And I also heard uh, there are a couple of other senators that are on for this. So he might not even have his 51 let alone reconcil- you know, for reconciliation. So if he looks as though he's reaching back and meeting halfway, I think that could be a huge political win for him, even though AOC might be a little angry at him. You know what? If you're AOC, you'll probably take it, and I'll tell you why. They've gotten so many victories that they've racked up, if you want to call them victories, uh, by really pushing this White House to the left in a very aggressive way. If they shed on this particular issue, uh, it's not a huge loss to them, and I'll tell you why. Ultimately, bridges, roads, ports, airports, yeah, that's a win for everybody. And I think if they really step back and right. they just sort of you know, brass tacks, take the deal, make the money for the people that, that serve and the people that you're supposed to be served. Absolutely. And we haven't even seen the budget yet where word is they're going to either leave defense spending flat or or lessen it, which is the wrong message to send China. So I want you to hear what Kevin Brady said about the problem. The problem is the tax rate, uh, the tax increases that are going to be coupled with this spending. Cut 22. 
There should be a battle royale from from around the country on this one. This is what everyone supports infrastructure on roads and bridges, ports, waterways, and, and even expanding, expanding uh, broadband throughout the country. But there is so much wasteful spending in this bill. Uh, and the tax increases that go with it, uh, they're going to devastate our jobs recovery. These are the, the biggest tax increases in half a century. Uh, it will drive U.S. jobs overseas. Uh, you know, Kevin Brady was one of the authors of the tax reform that President Trump passed. He says, uh, I think Democrats are underestimating how much that corporate tax decrease means to them in terms of their accomplishment, almost as if when Republicans did not fully understand how much Obamacare meant to Democrats. You know, I love listening to Kevin Brady because whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you can tell when you listen to him, that's a patriot right there. There's a no guy kidding. who's really doing his best to make the country stronger. And, and again, policy prescriptions aside, uh, he loves his country, and I think he hit on it, which is this. If you make it easier and more attractive for businesses to repatriate their dollars, to be here, to compete right here because the taxes are low. Look, you don't even have to take my advice. Look at Florida. Look at Texas and compare their tax structures. Again, this is a micro example with, say, larger states like New York and California, both all of them great states. But people know when the taxes are lower, generally speaking, businesses can operate more freely. They can attract better talent. And that's what's happening. And if you think about that globally, the U.S. is more competitive, it would seem, with less in the way of taxes that attract businesses, not more taxes. All right. The other big story, of course, is President Trump. I I hold to this, Kevin. Uh, I don't think the president can be effective running for reelection, even the nomination without Facebook. If you talk to Brad Parscale and others and what they were able to do with that social media uh, behemoth, it was unbelievable. It got him 2016, almost got him 2020. And without it, there's so many conservatives on that line. They were able to raise so much money. I don't know how he does it. So uh, right away, Mark Meadows said that they have to start moving in the direction of getting their own social media outlet. Cut 28. The problem is the federal government has made it very difficult to compete. They've created this de facto monopoly. Uh, My comments yesterday about making sure that we break up big tech is hard for me philosophically, but what we've essentially allowed uh, these platforms to to become is they're no longer platforms, they're political operations. And and when you see that, we've got to make sure that we, we not only hold them accountable, but that we allow the free market to compete. Kevin, he's he, you know, that's not something Republicans like do talk about breaking up uh, companies outside Teddy Roosevelt. But he's saying we have no other choice. They bought Instagram. They buy everything up. They they lobby. They pour money uh, all to the left. And they are really helpless right now. If they want to take you down, we are seeing the most powerful one of the man in the country at one point being throttled. It's, it's uh, you know, he said it's a sad day for America. He said it's a sad day for Facebook. And, and what he meant when he made those comments, in my opinion, bluntly speaking, is any time that we are effectively, yep. uh, and I'll just say deplatforming, but more than that, when you're attempting to silence voices, uh, it's less American than it is something you would expect in a totalitarian country. Uh, they're going to have to break these companies up. May not happen in the next four years, which is why I think he's wise to suggest 
if you don't have your own platform, you will be silenced. And I think conservatives writ large are understanding that more now than ever. And I think uh, the former president knows that. They just have to make sure that Amazon doesn't keep them kicked off the Internet like you saw happen with uh, some of the other big sites. But if they can if they can secure that, Brian, they're going to be better off anyway. Uh, Lastly, um, Kevin, just in the uh, in the big picture of this whole indoor fighting with the GOP, uh, Liz Cheney uh, is more than happy to take on the president who, no matter who's asking, doesn't really seem to care about her losing her number three slot. It's been speculated. I think it was by Axios today that she's thinking 2028. She says that uh, the Republicans are going to run their course with the president, uh, with the former president, and she wants to be the one standing who was right in 2021, thinking about the two election cycles. Is that plausible to you? In what sense? Do you mean in is 2028 it plausible? she's like, looking th- about the, the yeah. party? or is She, she thinks the party's going to end up coming back to her philosophy that Trump was bad no. for the party, and she can say, I was there first. She's wrong by a thousand percent, and I can only tell you this. You have to understand the temperature in the room. My dad used to say that. You don't walk into the room until you know what the temperature is in the room. And I think uh, Representative Cheney, who is a patriot for her country, uh, has lost sight of what the temperature in the room really is. I think her party has actually – she's right when she says the party left me. Yeah, she didn't adjust. The party moved on, and I don't think in 2028 – or 2032, this party will ever go back to being what it used to be. Because you know what? Most of the, everything that President Trump uh, stood for ran on, that's where the party's at. And you can debate that's the right. president and his personality, strong, uh, big thumbs up, big thumbs down, regardless. But what he stood for and what he did, we were in support of. So that's where I think she's wrong. But I am a huge fan of hers, and I know that takes a lot of people off. I am I am always happy when Liz Cheney is speaking. She knows her stuff. She is tough as nails. But I think this point, it's almost gotten personal uh, with her and the president. And um, and I think she thinks she's sticking up for the Republican ideals she grew up with, which are not much different than the president. But after January 6th, something switched off with her, and she cannot get over it. Kevin McCarthy clearly can, and so could almost every other Republican, except Adam Kinzinger and a few others and Mitt Romney, who is never on board. Uh, Kevin Cork, thanks so, for, thanks so much for bringing us inside Washington. Anytime, my buddy. Have a great day and a great weekend. You too. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we're back with your calls. Also, whatever, whatever's on your mind as we recap the week, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 Getting a lot of people writing me saying, wow, Afghan- I never even had this before. Uh, every time I bring up Afghanistan, then it's worth keeping a few thousand troops there. Most people think I'm wrong because President Trump, uh, for the most part, wanted out right away. He says, I don't want you know, why are we there? It makes no sense. Why are we in Syria? It makes no sense. This is where I disagree with the president. Just having a presence there sends a great message. And if we're not there, it doesn't stay empty and the wars doesn't stop. The violence doesn't subside. Uh, what happens is we just don't have a say in it. And China moves in, Iran moves in, who have, don't have our best interest in mind. I don't know if you picked that up. 
Howard uh, Brown writes me and says, Afghanistan is not an endless war. It's an extremely valuable base of operations. We also abandoned Guam, Diego Garcia, uh, uh, Gitmo. When we prop up the abandoned allies doing the fighting, Kurds, will the UAE and others cover their bets and kick us out? I mean, think about this. We pulled out of Saudi Arabia. We told them we're not going to provide any more aid for you. We said we're not going to provide any aid to the rebels in Yemen. Saudi Arabia then go cuts a deal with Iran starting in January, and they don't have our best interest in mind, okay? So you have to understand, it's easy to sit back and hang out in the sports bar and say we don't belong there, but you have to understand, in the big picture, looking around the corner, we're going to pay a price. And a lot of those people are the same ones who will be very critical when the Taliban takes over in Afghanistan. They'll still blame Joe Biden. They shouldn't. Uh, the American people what, did not stand up and say it was a big deal. And the president, President Trump, did not either. Howard, listening over in Nebraska uh, at, on COIL. Hey, uh, Howard, what's on your mind? Brian, to save northern Afghanistan, we work with NATO, right. formerly set up a defensible defensible perimeter, just like Korea. Yep. We've given up on the entire country, keeping that. This way we preserve our bases and avoid the slaughter of all these innocent folks. I would like that. And uh, just to be able to have the intel, to be so close to China, to see what's happening with Pakistan, to see what's happening in Russia on their doorstep. And our guys aren't perfect at all times, but our, our, our uh, goal has never been to dominate and take over. We have trained, we've, ha- we've equipped, uh, we've shown people uh, a kindness for the most part, especially over the last five or six years when the war has really uh, turned down. We are, that is a calling card for America. Unlike the Russians came in and steamrolled everyone and left in humiliation, we went out there and said, guys, you want to have an election? We'll secure it for you. You guys want to have representation? We'll make it possible. You want to be having security forces? We will pay their salaries. So these are all things that made us look good, but do you want to cut and run? Yeah, I don't think that makes us look great. I just don't. Howard, thanks so much for the call. Uh, And you know what? There's a lot of other people out there that are beginning to sound the alarm that it's not going to look great if Joe Biden is presiding over a country and all of a sudden we watch the Taliban take over. Do we even keep the embassy staffed there? They say, well, we're still going to have an embassy and a presence and we have some bases. Really? With the Taliban in charge? With their professional terrorists who team with other terrorists? They're going to come flooding back in. And it wouldn't take much of an investment just to stay there. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're privileged to be coming to you from... uh, we're from Panama City in Florida. News Talk 101. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Normally coming to you from New York and heard around the, the country, heard around the world. Now Panama City, Florida, News Talk 101, our great affiliate out here has been kind enough to not only provide a great studio for us, but something we haven't seen since probably 1988, and that's breakfast. Uh, we could not believe. I even have a birthday cake uh, for me, which is, I, I got to get the name of that company. Uh, because uh, as soon as we get the name, I, we got to give them a plug. Because I don't know if I'm going to be able to uh, eat it, because I think we're going to meet some listeners and then go uh, with Lee Bryce and spend the day with the country music legend, uh, who has never been hotter in his career. 
Uh, he provides, he says, a lot of his inspiration comes from being here. Uh, and so he comes back and writes here all the time. So we caught up with him last night, and we'll spend the day with him tonight, culminating with a concert, and we'll bring you all that behind-the-scenes stuff later next week on Fox & Friends. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, I'm sick and tired of corporate America not paying their fair share. And it doesn't cost anybody anything and deprive anybody of anything they have earned or deserve. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, can we go over his taxes and how he avoids paying them to the tune of $500,000? Blowing it. A massive bounce back from our economy being jeopardized by the left-wing agenda as they have yet to clearly, clearly answer this story. Why do we need all this spending if we're adding enough jobs? Why do you have to up our taxes when we've been out of work for a year? Next. Number two. The president has decided to end America's involvement in our longest war. And we're going to do just that. And so far, less than one weekend, the drawdown is going according to plan. Yeah, uh, we might be getting out uh, smoothly, but what we're leaving is a total mess. Afghanistan, you may be against forever wars, endless wars, but you're going to hand the keys over to the Taliban. As long as you're aware of that, I'm not okay with that. I'm not sure America is because it hasn't been explained to them. Number one. What percentage of the public is focused on the border? A much smaller percentage than who's focused on the pandemic and the economy. So that may be maddening, but, you know, that's what we try to do. Jen Psaki talking to David Axelrod on his uh, podcast, The Border Crisis, and the deceptive messaging that surrounds it, why this is a story that Biden administration can't shake, and the reality we cannot avoid. And coming up this hour, Lara Logan at the bottom of the hour, and right now, we welcome in this man named Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I wonder where you are. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm in Panama City, right? Um, News Talk 101, our great affiliate here. Last night, I actually did something that you might say I've never done before. Hung out with Lee Bryce on the beach, uh, one of the hottest music star, country music stores in the country right now. Were you doing shots? No, because I'm working. <laughs> Geraldo, it's not 1970 when you guys used to drink at lunch and then go on the air at six and eleven, and then I was and it was and then you ended up getting Good when Morning it was America. The six o'clock news and then the eleven o'clock news, so you had nothing to do between the six o'clock news and the eleven. So that was the that's why the eleven was so looser, so yeah. much looser than the six. Right now, that mystery unlocked. We learned that in broadcast I school. News. Yeah. Inside scoop. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you guys do it. I mean, I I don't. Um, I could not imagine going on the air with even a one drink. Uh, but oh, I, it's really. It, I, I I stopped it at a very early age. It even one drink alters uh, my my thinking. I, I tend to be more glib. But yeah. you never know where that ends, so you can't take a chance. You want to drink, drink after you're off the air. Right. The problem is when you're off the air and then they call you, you got to come back. <laughs> Emergency. Oh yeah, it's God. like being in the fire department. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, Geraldo, I want to bring you to uh, Jen Psaki's comments that we're not, the American public doesn't care as much as you would think the news media does on the border. Are they, is she right or wrong? I, I think that uh, she's, you know, she's, that's her aspiration. That's her hope. That's the fervent desire of Democrats and the Biden administration specifically is that the American people forget about uh, the southern border, because I think immigration and the border and the wall and so forth uh, are still the most potent issues the Republicans have in the uh, in the coming midterm elections. I think it's very serious. I, I, I still don't get why, if, if you give me 30 seconds. Yep. 
why don't why doesn't the vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, I know. get in touch with Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, and say to the president of Mexico what Donald Trump said to the president of Mexico, if you don't stop these people coming through your country to illegally enter my country, I'm going to hit you with tariffs like you've never known before. Uh, you know, there has been and, – and, and it's almost as if the, the president of Mexico – Stung by Trump's uh, impetuous or uh, presumptuous uh, uh, powerful threat, I said, "Okay, I, Trump may have gotten the best of me, but I'm not going to let the Democrats get the best of me. Mexico's army will not do anything to stop the flow of refugees and uh, immigrants going from uh, the triangle countries Guatemala, Honduras, uh, Nicaragua, and El Salvador uh, to to the United States." The Mexican government and the Mexican army is the key element in stopping the caravans and stopping the flow. They're the only ones that can deal with the coyotes. Once someone is across the border in the United States, then all of the mechanisms that have been designed for compassionate treatment of those, uh, of those arrivals kick in. But in, uh, that's once they get here. But there's a, there's a long walk from Central America through Mexico to the United States. During the Trump administration, the Army stopped the flow. They are doing absolutely nothing now. And I don't know that Vice President Harris has even called the Mexican president to discuss what I'm talking yeah, about right now. I think they talked a couple of times, but nothing said. And what, what really gets in their way is the president of Mexico says the Biden administration has a much more lax, these are my words, but these are the spirit of what he said, much more lax immigration stance. And that word went out. He's an immigration president. So that removes the Republican rhetoric out of this and brings facts into this story. I give Henry Cuellar so much credit, the Democrat, who looked at the Donna facility and I, pictures. I trust him, by the way. I trust oh, I him. I do, too. Like yeah, the two times I went to the border, he was there both times, not because I was there, because he was doing it on his own. No cameras. He's traveling around with the Border Patrol. And I introduced myself. He was very nice. We've kept in touch since. He has been a truth teller at the border. And they tried to primary him at AOC, and it wasn't successful, uh, thankfully, because you need clear-thinking people. He said, hey, guys, that Donna facility, that empty one, all the kids were next door. They took a picture of an empty facility, but they didn't tell you they brought all the kids to the other tent. So that, that type of behavior should not stand. And he's losing another Democrat, Senator Kirsten Sinema, who will not go along with the with the hymn sheet that Jen Psaki handed out, cut six. It's clear that not enough is being done. Arizona is bearing the brunt of this crisis because of the federal government's failure to address immigration issues over the last three decades. We haven't yet heard back from the Biden administration, but we continue to call on them for the urgency of the crisis we face. So, you know, she and, and by the way, Mark Kelly can't continue to ignore this either. The senator has is up for election in 18 months and the people of Arizona aren't caring much. You know, they just turned blue recently. There's a lot of Republicans there and oh, they they're not going to take this if they think their senators Remember, are not I'm going a, to fight. I'm a wildcat at U of A, University of Arizona. Uh, one other specific issue on this topic. Yep. And it, it concerns compassion. And I am compassionate. I am pro-immigration. For the longest time, I resisted the wall, and when I finally uh, conceded that uh, the wall was appropriate, I insisted that there be big doors in the wall, and that was the deal I made with Hannity. But this uh, thing about unaccompanied minors, the coyotes have figured out 
that Biden will not turn back any unaccompanied minors. He said it. So that's why the kids are being dropped off the top of the wall. That's why the kids are marching through the desert or abandoned five-year-olds and seven-year-olds crying uh, in the in the uh, in the U.S. desert. It's because the coyotes know that once the kid gets in the United States, now they talk about family reunification. So now the parents can be reunited with the children. And that what are you going to do now? Now when they reunite these the 400 kids they're talking about right now and they're putting with their parents what's going to happen to those families they're still undocumented immigrants they're still in the country uh, illegally without permission are, are we going to now throw out the whole family uh, because the kid is reunited with the parent or more likely is the whole family going to stay and is this not a, a you know a, a kind of ersatz de facto new immigration system, kid walks across the border, kid can bring the family in, yep. and the United States is powerless to do anything. You know, it's, it's, it's not the way to run a border. It's not the way to be compassionate. The kid is, is traumatized by the experience. Uh, the coyotes are ruthless, but this is, they can, I always found when I was a radical lawyer back in 1970, that liberals and Democrats were always the easiest to bully, always the easiest to get over on. They want to do good, and they're wanting to do good, and in their guilt, they, they react and respond in irrational ways. And I think Biden's border policy and his philosophy generally has led to catastrophe. You kind of agree with me now. I mean, that's I what we talk about on TV. I, do, to, I agree with you. Wow. You're a little harsher than I. But, uh. <laughs> because it's not so much the kid the kid that gets dropped over the wall and gets to stay are going to uh, go into be the go sign for another 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 kids to come, and they're all going to be at risk. And now they say there's 22,000 unaccompanied minors. And, you know, I travel with this huge posse like you. Uh, Allison leads that posse. So we're in the airport, and Allison pointed out, did you see those kids? And I said... Yeah, I did. They were wearing clear backpacks. They all had their names. They looked like they were from Central America in the airport yesterday and the route here. They're not even telling the governors. They're putting them into federal facilities like Homestead. They're building 10 cities in San Diego. They're moving these kids around until they can get sponsor families. And, and we're, we're supplying that. They say it's at $3 billion already. And I just ask you, people listening right now, you got a big heart. But would you like to give money to your own charity? Or do you want other countries just emptying into our country, demanding that they get citizenship and everything that we earned, which is pretty much our money? Think about how much money you've paid in your life in taxes, Geraldo, and how many days off you missed, how many holidays you missed, how hard you had to work, how many days in Afghanistan and, uh, and Libya. No one gave you anything. But now the government wants to take 60% of all that and make you feel guilty for saying, excuse me, why don't I get to keep it? You know, I have always paid my taxes. I remember when Ronald Reagan had the big tax cut in the early yeah. 1980s, and I said to my accountant, can this be true that all of a sudden I had this much more money in my, in my paycheck? Not that yeah. I was ever complaining about my paycheck. But uh, can this be true? And the accountant said, yeah, that's uh, the tax cut. 
And I said, how in the world are they going to do that? And then, of course, it became the Republican mantra, and that's the way they ran things. That's the way they run things now. Democrats have the other uh, the other uh, philosophy where uh, the government exists to serve people in a, in a sometimes cash basis. Uh, I, I think there's obviously a compromise. I, I, I'm shocked and appalled that uh, Joe Biden has managed this with a 50-50 Senate. Uh, I'm angrier at Donald Trump than I should be because Donald Trump uh, destroyed the Republican Party's chances in Georgia by making that special election all about himself, and that's why the uh, the Democrats got the tie in the United States Senate. That's why they've been able to do all of this. It all goes back to Donald Trump, uh, and I, I know that uh, you know we uh, uh, don't like to to point out these things about uh, the failings of the Republican Party, but I think there is plenty of responsibility to go around for what we're now enduring, I know. which will be a period of high taxation and ultimately, I believe, uh, uh, even worse than high taxation, inflation. I just think there's got to be uh, glory in work again, whether it's high-profile jobs that we're lucky enough to have Amen. or just going to work and just I'm say, hey, guys, I need you to go back to work. Yeah, 100% hey, with you. I want to give you back. I, I want to provide the safety net, the best affordable. But our system is set up where we give you an opportunity to pursue success, not guarantee the outcome. But my goodness, go compete. That's, what, that's why you're here. Go compete. And that is not heartless. That's the American dream. Not, I'm not guaranteeing you're going to win. But there's glory in the effort. And, for example, I'll get, I'll, I'll get, I'll, uh, we're up against a break. But real quick, I imagine, I don't know specifically, that, Geraldo, you got some extra money in the 1980s. And I imagine you might have bought a bigger house or you might have got a landscaper or you might have bought another house. My goodness, you had an island and you're employing people to work that house. The realtor got a commission to sell you that house. Then you want to update that house. The contractor came in and that's what Reagan thought. That was all what of, his economy all thought. True. All right? of that true. All of so, that true. So you the got extra money, but you spent it. When, when my yeah. father was unemployed... He refused to get an unemployment check because he didn't want to live off the government. And then he wanted to pay back whatever he was forced to take because the family was so, uh, so needy. Now people can stay on unemployment six months, nine months, a year. Why work? You go into any shop around here, there's a help wanted sign. I know. And that's the story of America today. Geraldo, thanks so much. I think we really had a problem. I think America is better <laughs> that we spoke. I think we are better off as a country. <laughs> Go get them. one 408 I'm going to take your calls when we come back. At the bottom of the hour, Lara Logan. You're not going to believe the story that she has uh, coming your way. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. That is not something we recommend. In fact, a lot of times we say don't take questions. You know what he's going to do what he wants to do because he's the president of the United States. Do you believe that? Jen Psaki talking to David Axelrod say he'll tell him, tell him not to take any questions. No one, If you told Donald Trump that, uh, I think he'd be fired. He felt he could answer any question at any time. Yes, yeah, sometimes he got himself in trouble, but his willingness to stand there was so underappreciated. You know what I found out in that story, too? Barack Obama told Donald Trump when the transition was taking place in 2016, whatever you do, don't answer questions that are shouted at you as you're walking in and out of the White House or to, the, or to the Marine One. 
Uh, Donald Trump ignored that as well as some other things uh, from President Obama. Randy, you are listening to WCSI over in uh, Columbus, Indiana. Hey, Randy. Hey, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? You know, I'll tell you what. I was just listening to you and Geraldo, and we were talking about employment. We own a restaurant in Columbus, Indiana. Uh, you might have heard us on Fox and Friends. We actually got taken on by Barstool. We employ those with mental, intellectual, and developmental disabilities. Wow. You know, when it, when it comes to hiring people today, you just people don't want to work. They absolutely don't want to work. You know, here's the bottom line to it. Even if you were making $15, $18, $20 an hour, I believe on unemployment you get about 75% of what your wage was. Well, on top of that, they're giving them the extra 300 And as long as they're giving them that extra 300 people are not going to want to go back to work. I think you're right. And they want to extend it all the way to September right now. They want to extend it past that. Do you believe that? They know it's affecting the economy negatively, and yet they still want to extend it. Why? Because is that all about the election, you think? You think that if you're giving me an extra 300 bucks, I don't have to work, I'm going to keep you in office? You know, here's the thing. They've got everybody greenwashed. They've got them thinking they're doing the best, the best thing for them. Can't live in a bubble. Life has to go on. We already know about the death rate. We already know about the infection rate. We already know about what's going on with COVID. We already know how to be careful. We're not going to walk around outside wearing a mask. You know, they're wanting you. If I'm standing outside the parking lot right now by myself, right? I should be wearing a mask. Now, explain that to me. That makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, I'm You're making going worse. Into a you know, it's worse. The CDC says you don't have to do it, and Joe Biden keeps doing it. So you're getting the wrong message. We're supposed to follow the science, but don't look at the president. I mean, it's absolutely nuts. Uh, by the way, I think he's got some type of phobia because he literally can't move without a mask outside. Uh, someone told him, whatever you do, don't go anywhere without a mask. When he misplaces it in his own pocket, uh, he panics. He can't even talk. So I, I think this guy needs a therapist. Maybe a little bit more. one 408 7669 Laura Logan next. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What we had to be focused on was, like, what we were going to do about it. And to us, it's like, that wasn't really a crisis. It was a huge challenge. But really a big driver was we understand and know the nature of some components of social media and media these days. And we just didn't want to feed into that. That is Jen Psaki trying to explain why she will not call the border crisis a crisis. If she wanted to substitute the word catastrophe, that I'd accept. But she says that he doesn't want to feed into what the media is saying. How about it flat out is a crisis? When you got tens of thousands of people, 174,000 coming in March, a new record. Joining us now is Laura Logan, uh, correspondent for America, Fox Nation, Fox News, and everything else. Laura, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. And happy birthday, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, How Laura, do you feel to be in your 60s? I am not in my 60s. How <laughs> dare you give misinformation? We got to stick to the facts here. How dare you? Talk to your producers or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to find out if we can fact check. Yeah, don't believe Wikipedia, <laughs> um, Laura. I could. You're the one of the few people I can go nine different directions with. But I want to start with what's happening at the border because you did so many. You did so much, uh, so much penetrating work for Fox Nation. First off, what about her rationale by not calling it a crisis, and how she explained that? And David Axelrod just accepted that. 
Well, you know, it's a good question, Brian, because we could all react emotionally and superficially, right, and do exactly what they want, play right into their hands and argue for the next six months, the next year, four years, whatever it is, about whether or not it's a crisis. And when you do that, you never have to address the substance of what's going on. You also never have to be accountable for it. And um, and what that is, is not just um, sort of an excuse or a lie or some nonsense that they're coming up with or that Jen Psaki is coming up with on her own at the podium. This is strategic. This is information warfare. But it's also more than that. The bureaucracy is overwhelmed at the border. We know that. Health and Human Services, they're just pushing kids out into the community without even knowing where they're going, uh, you know, if they're going to be safe or anything like it. They're, the same is happening with uh, Border Patrol and all the other agencies that are involved in this. And crime is going through the roof along the border. I just heard uh, from neighbors, because, you know, I'm down here in Texas today, um, who are, uh, have got reports coming in from everywhere. And, of course, everyone brings them to me. And, um, and, and you know, people don't feel safe. People are starting to get out of their houses and to leave the area. There's, um, there's increasing desperation as people are walking up, coming up from the border and not finding their way and turning, you know, showing up on people's doors. I have surveillance footage of guy come and trying the doors in houses, you know, in one neighborhood. So all of this is happening. And the administration's strategy is to pretend it's not. And what they're hoping is that all of their allies and friends and political operatives who are across the media are going to just play along, right. and no one's going to pay too much attention to the likes of you and me and Fox News and all the other crazy white ring supremacists, you know, in the fringes of the lunatic media, right? And that's the strategy. And know you, you know what? Right. One thing, what the real strategy is that this was planned. The bureaucracy's overwhelmed, but the policymakers planned this. And the real question to ask is, how does it serve? the Biden administration's interests to open the border for the most powerful criminal cartels on earth, who are also the most violent, to flood America's streets with the uh, most dangerous and lethal street drugs that have ever, ever been experienced by any country anywhere in the world, that are killing more Americans and more young people who are not addicts every single day, and also at the same time have a workforce of unaccompanied minors and, um, and labor, you know, human slaves coming over the border to serve those organizations who are doing unspeakable things to some of those women and men and young boys and girls. How does but it serve their interests? Why did they plan for this? And what is, what is your answer to that? Well, I don't have um, a good answer because I always – I don't like to guess. And I don't like um, – I don't like – you know, I don't pretend that I'm a prophet or that I'm all-seeing or all-knowing, right? I try to stick to the things that I know are true. Like, I can't tell you – in fact, I'm always conscious of what I don't know. And so when you see people out there, you hear journalists and others on television and that's saying things that you think about, there's no way they could possibly know that. Right. And they're sounding they're putting it out there as if they're an authority. But what I but what I can tell you is that it is uh, it cannot be for the benefit of this country or for the people of right. this country, whether they're on the left or on the right. And it is very disturbing. And when I talked to a senior cartel leader just last week who was in Austin, Texas, which is another place where they're just, you know, snapping people um, left and right, um, he said, I asked him, uh, there's no way that this could be happening without an agreement 
right, between you guys, you cartels, and uh, people in power in this country? And he said, of course not. And I asked, why? Why do they, what, what are they, what are they doing? Why do they do this? And he said, uh, I can't say. Right. Uh, they're just making tons of money. And uh, the, the biggest joke is, the biggest joke is, uh, Jen Psaki and the president, I'm not going to be like the other administration and turn back kids. You're not turning back kids. By not turning back kids, not by sending them back into the wilderness, but by bringing them back to their country of origin, you send a message to the other kids. You can't come. You're just going to come back. It's not worth the journey. It's not worth the money. You will not get through. That's compassion. When you say, if you come, you stay, you're just going to bring in more kids, and we realize that. So having said that, no one seems to want to ask that question to the Biden administration. And when they sit down with the Homeland Security Secretary, this plays to what you were just saying about the media. Listen to the question Mayorkas gets from NBC. Cut three. Will there be an investigation into members of the Trump administration over this policy? We're right now focused on what we achieved just a couple days ago, reuniting the first four families. Accountability would not deliver necessarily justice for just the families. The so-called separation of families that lasted a blink of an eye by uh, Attorney General Sessions, uh, which was adjusted, that's what NBC's focused on, Donald Trump and two and a half years ago, not the crisis. I'm surprised kids weren't running through the shot from the border, interrupting the, 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 uh, the interview. Why would that be a question, Laura Logan? Well, it's not a journalistic question. It's a political question. Yeah. And, um, and that's what, you know, people have really come to expect from the likes of Acosta and NBC and CNN and, and all these others who have abandoned every standard of journalism and any attempt at any form of independence and real, you know, real journalism that serves the First Amendment and serves the people of this country. But, you know, I, it's, just, it's funny, Brian, because listening to that, I'm just reminded again of the strategy, because we, we all know that they blame Trump for building cages that Obama built. We all know, um, you know, a lot of these hypocritical details. But what I think people have forgotten is that the reason sessions separated kids at the border. Why did that happen? Well, it happened because under U.S. law, when an adult is arrested for a crime, you are not allowed to take your children with you. Yep. And that applies to Americans. So while we scream about the separation of families at the border, we say nothing about the separation of American families. If you or I were arrested today, tomorrow, anytime, our children would be taken from us. We yep. would be separated. Now, our circumstances are not the same. Of course not. But there isn't an outcry about the policy of separation or about why those families were separated in the first place. The answer is, um, from the, the political and media mob, is make it not a crime. Ignore the law. Don't change the law. Don't get everyone in the country. Don't ask Americans on both sides whether they support the law or believe in the law or want the law enforced. Don't do that. Just drown everyone out with a screaming cry of raw emotion. doesn't matter if it's true, not true. Mm -hmm. Forget the substance and the facts. And then we can just obliterate the law. And oh, by the way, we've obliterated the law not just on the border, but we've obliterated immigration law for internally in the country, anywhere in the country, for organizations like ICE, um, who are not allowed to enforce 
the most basic immigration laws. Um, only in extreme circumstances can they do that. And where else have we done it? Look across the Justice Department. Look across the spectrum and all kinds of things where we now today have lost faith in uh, in both the agencies that are meant to uphold the law and yep. in the intelligence agencies and in all of these other institutions because they have failed millions of people in this country. But more importantly, they have failed to live up to the principles on which right. they were founded. When I think of Laura Logan, I always think of you in war zones, you know, whether you're sleeping on the floor in Baghdad or Afghanistan. And when people have a perspective on the war, you don't have to pick up Time Magazine. I wonder what the AP's running. You, you actually call people who are fighting them. First off, on your view of the yeah. Pentagon, what is happening in the Pentagon? The 60-day stand-down after January 6th, the purge, uh, they say, uh, extremists in their midst. All I'm, hear, I'm not hearing about meritocracy. I'm hearing about uh, basic affirmative action amongst our ranks. What do your sources tell you happening in America's uh, military? Well, I could show you a video, Brian, that has come out, which contrasts um, commercials being uh, put out publicly by the Russian government about the Russian military and how they recruit for their armed forces. And it's contrasted with uh, how U.S. Defense Department officials are recruiting and the messages that they're putting out. And this is a not-so-subtle dig at the way the United States military under this administration in the era of um, the politics of terror and intimidation that passes itself off as the progressive movement and the far left. I mean, what they really are doing is uh, prioritizing a political ideology over um, the purposes of having armed forces in the first place. And then not only that, even worse, what they're saying is, you people, you're good enough to get your face burned off by an IED on the battlefield and lose your legs and, you know, maybe scrape out something that approaches a decent existence for the rest of your life. You're good enough to do that, but you're not good enough to have a right to be in this society or in the military if you didn't vote for Joe Biden and you don't see the world exactly the way we see it and you dare to be proud of coming from Texas or proud of the U.S. flag or that you're not seduced by the deception of critical race theory that is filled with hatred and that you really do respect the founding fathers and what they did in 1776 when the United States was founded. I googled U.S. America founded the other day. And what came up? The first Native Ameri America began when the Native uh, Americans came here, you know, in 1619. Yeah. And so that's what's happening is we've, we've now turned around to the very same people that we pretend that we respect and they're being hunted. This today in the United States of America, if you support the U.S. flag and consider yourself patriotic and believe in the Constitution and maybe, oh my goodness, you voted for Donald Trump, well, you're being hunted and you're being sidelined and your life is being destroyed. So, uh, and by the way, forward, where are the vets in Congress? Why aren't they speaking up? I don't know. I, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it's got to become more public and then they will because there are a lot of people speaking out and parents pushing back now in these critical race theories, even in these so-called blue states and cities. I want you to hear from the vice president of the of this sitting government in Afghanistan for now as we prepare to pull out and basically hand the keys to the Taliban. Uh, it's got an accent. I think you're gonna, uh, you'll understand what he's saying, though. Cut 11. Taliban are terrorists. Simple. Do you trust the Taliban? No. 
at all. No. The whole idea of coming to Afghanistan was to teach a lesson to terrorists, their allies, don't do it again. Have we taught them that lesson? No. Taliban operates shoulder to shoulder with al-Qaeda today. And we are pulling out because they promised not to do that. Uh, how stupid are we? Mm, very. We're, we are um, we're deaf, dumb, and blind is what we are. But more than that, uh, we're dishonest because we're not being honest with ourselves about what it is that we're doing. And I have to say it is, uh, it's really great to hear the voice of Amrullah Saleh, who is the vice president of Afghanistan, who is a very old friend of mine and probably the smartest man I have ever interviewed in all my years. I profiled him on 60 Minutes, and years before that, I did a story with him. And and he has an extraordinary gift, and um, he is also consistent. From From day one to now, he has never, ever abandoned the principles, and he has never given up the truth for political convenience and expediency, even when the CIA and the U.S. government turned on him under the Obama administration, and his uh, his friends at the agency that he'd known for many years since he was um, since he was the main conduit for all intelligence between the U.S. and uh, the Afghan soldiers on the ground fighting Al Qaeda and the Taliban when Bin Laden was alive, he was the man right through which we communicated everything. He's been a key U.S. ally all along. We turned on him the moment the U.S. decided we wanted to leave. We were done. We didn't want to finish the job. We wanted to lie to everybody, and we wanted to get out. We turned on him, and he has never faltered. He is telling you exactly what he told me years ago, that the Taliban and al-Qaeda cannot – these are forces of evil, and they cannot engender a vision for this world. They don't care. They don't care care that we're tired of this. and we're, and we're going to be talking about how stupid it was that we left and the Taliban are going to be taking over that country less than a year. Al-Qaeda and ISIS will thrive. Larry, you know what we you lived in. We won't care then. We'll, we're it. going to care when, there's, when we pay. When it comes home to U.S. soil once again, that's when we'll care. Lara Logan has no agenda. Is the name of a Fox Nation series. We just see her all over the channel. Lara, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. You too. Happy right. birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I am not 60. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We were in that fountain for a long time. I don't know who, somebody thought that would just be really fun. And let me tell you what happens. It's not fun to be dancing in the fountains for hours and hours. I, I remember Matthew Perry saying at one point, and it didn't, we, didn't, we didn't know each other that well at that point. But I remember, and this is so Matthew, but he was like, can't remember a time that it wasn't in this fountain. <laughs> like, was like, literally, we were just like, oh my God. How much longer are we going to pretend to love dancing in water? Uh, but, um, it was fun, but not really. That was Courtney Cox talking about the Friends episode beginning. I also think it's important to point out that we need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. 
So Courtney Cox was just talking about that on the Ellen DeGeneres show in an awkward interview. She admitted that experience wasn't her day, her week, her month, or even her year. While discussing the upcoming HBO Max Friends reunion special, I've never been a big, I appreciate their success. They seem to get along, but I've never been the biggest Friends guy. You, uh, you have pictures on the couch. I know. I just, I, I, my family loves it. I don't. Next, drinking alcohol in moderation beneficially impacts the brain heart connection. I've always felt that. I'm willing to work on that even tonight. But what's the definition of moderation? That's true. That's the, the, the eye of the beholder and the shot glass holder. How many bubbles are in a glass of beer? Scientists say they have the answer. In France, they're working on it. They've accomplished the very feat. Their study reveals a half pint of beer may contain up to 2 million tasty bubbles in each glass. So please use that stat this weekend because everyone will be in awe and no one could possibly fact check you. It's true. It's a good, it's a, might be a good pickup line. And by the way, I love this. We found out there may be a million. If you, didn't, if you say there may be a million bubbles, you don't know the answer. You cheated. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Wow, this is going to be a great hour. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Privileged to be coming to you from News Talk 101 in Panama City, our great affiliate out here, are able to house us and not coming from New York City first time in a long time because spent last night, and I'm there to get you jealous, Lee Bryce, he writes more than anybody else than, that we know. Uh, he goes back to Panama City every year. That's when he was a struggling artist and he was writing. He said, I want to recreate all those moments. He's gotten five studio albums. So we joined him on the beach last night, talk about what goes into his songs, his new album, and we'll go into his concert tonight. So I thought, let's still do radio and... Uh, News Talk 101 was able to open up the doors for us, and it's been great. And they actually had this thing called breakfast, which I heard people have, but I don't really have it because I'm up at 2.30 in the morning, and I have pow uh, a powdered meal replacement shake and then coffee, and then that's about it. So Shannon uh, Bream is going to be with us shortly. Lee Bryce at the bottom of the hour, the preview is concert, and possibly give away two tickets, right? Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, maybe give away two tickets. And Dwight Gooden, uh, how does he feel about baseball moving the All-Star game? How does he feel about what this game is doing right now with only 10,000 fans and the vaccine situation? They say in New York, if you, want, if you have a vaccine, you can come and sit in this section. And if you don't, you can't. Wow. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, I'm sick and tired of corporate America not paying their fair share. And it doesn't cost anybody anything and deprive anybody of anything they have earned or deserve. Yeah, exactly, Joe. I couldn't have said it more confusing myself. Blowing it. A massive bounce back of our economy being jeopardized, in my view, of the left-wing agenda as we yet to get a clear answer on spending, on taxes, and this low job numbers of 266,000. Sounds like a lot? Not nearly where it should be. Number two. The president has decided to end America's involvement in our longest war. And we're going to do just that. And so far, less than one weekend, the drawdown is going according to plan. Right. The Taliban's plan. Afghanistan. You may be in favor of ending the so-called endless war, but are you also in, in, a fan of handing the keys over to the Taliban? Currently, I don't believe the sitting government of Afghanistan will even last the year. 
Number one. What percentage of the public is focused on the border? A much smaller percentage than who's focused on the pandemic and the economy. So that may be maddening, but you know, that's what we try to do. Maddening, it's a crisis, it's a catastrophe. The border crisis is the deceptive messaging you just heard from the Biden White House. Why is this a story? The Biden administration can't shake. The reality, they can't avoid. And you can sit and shirk the questions as she did with David Axelrod, but that is not the case. Shannon Bream, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, happy birthday, Brian. Thank you. I think you have quite a celebration planned there on the beach. That's like you, Mr. High Dollar, private concert on the beach in Florida. You probably took a private jet down there. Well, let me just say this. First off, the happy birthday wish lasted one-tenth of a second, and it turned into an attack. (laughs) And here I am. I am working. I worked last night. Mm -hmm. Well, it's all in love. I'm just trying to keep you humble because I think it's important when you're successful as you are. Right, exactly. I mean, it's amazing. I am so humble, and I have no reason to be. So if you don't we, say so yourself. <laughs> right. You, you know this area, right? I love it. That's my home down there. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, a, this is the first time I've been here, just there a few hours, went to the beach with Lee Bryce, and then today I'm going to be having a chance to come around where the affiliate here. But it is pretty amazing. I mean, now I see, I see what people see. In, yeah. There's like, Florida has, a, has something for everybody. This is also very unique. Yeah, I mean, it's a different world. Um, my family's there, and so I've been down to Florida a lot during the last year. Um, and it, it feels like a different country, a different world down there. Um, people are given a lot more freedom to make good choices, hopefully for them and their family and their health and, and uh, managing all that kind of stuff. But you go down there and you sort of feel like, you, depending on where you live now, you're sort of out of jail. Right. Uh, by the way, Shannon Bream, i got to give you your, your plug, Fox News at Night. Uh, midnight hour. If you want to know what's going on in the world quickly uh, and right to the point with opinion, she's got it. Uh, also, the women of the Bible speak, still selling fantastic. The wisdom of 16 women and their lessons uh, for today, uh, still out and doing uh, very well. It's a it's a bestseller. So, Shannon, yeah, I got to ask you about uh, Jen Psaki and her comments just now. I want to let everyone at home hear it. They're blaming us, I guess, members of the media for being obsessed with the border. Cut one. What percentage of the public is focused on the border? A much smaller percentage than who's focused on the pandemic and the economy. So that may be maddening, but, you know, that's what we try to do. Really? Uh, really, it's maddening to think that we're not, we're focused too much on the border. Do we have an agenda or is this a crisis that no one's admitting to? Well, she forgot to tell the Democrats that they shouldn't be talking about it then because you got people like Congressman Henry Cuellar, a Democrat from Texas, who's like, this is a nightmare down here. The Biden people need to get involved. They need to come see it and they need to help us. I mean, that's a Democrat and he's not the only one. There are plenty of them down there who it is, you know, their constituency, this is, these are their districts. We're hearing from, you know, farmers and schools, the charities who are doing the very best they can to try to help up and keep the government. And if it's not such a big deal, then why has the government been asking? workers, federal workers, if they'd be willing to take a leave from their jobs and go work down there or volunteer down there. I mean, clearly, it doesn't matter what your your politics are. There is a situation down there that is a humanitarian crisis. And if we're being honest, and if, and, you know, if Jen Psaki is going to say that COVID is a huge deal, yes, it is. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people have died, and we still have to manage that. But the communities there along the border are frightened and terrified about the COVID situation they're facing with people coming across, not being tested, being sent further into the U.S. and other destinations. Uh, so I think you got to be consistent. Yeah, how about this? Yesterday, up to 80 illegals reportedly uh, fled from a semi-truck at a truck stop 
while people were searching the interstate. They knew they were going to get caught, so they ran out. Uh, according to police, a quick-thinking driver noticed something suspicious about the truck on the east side and called police. An officer pulled over the truck for traffic, and as soon as they pulled over, all these guys ran out. Between 80 and 100 people ran out. In California, they are telling, they put an email out, listen to this, to the Department of Agriculture. The California Department of Food and Agriculture is working with the California Office of Emergency Services on finding, renting, and leasing long-term basis a private uh, area to build a tent city in the county for immigrants coming across the border. So there is a crisis and catastrophe. There are 22,000 unaccompanied minors. They might not all be in the same place, but they're shuffling them around like chess pieces. And I want you to hear this, another Democrat who's upset by this, Senator Kirsten Cinema. cut six. It's clear that not enough is being done. Arizona is bearing the brunt of this crisis because of the federal government's failure to address immigration issues over the last three decades. We haven't yet heard back from the Biden administration, but we continue to call on them for the urgency of the crisis we face. If we don't start hearing from Mark Kelly, he's going to lose his election, which is coming up in 2022. They have to realize that they're being sacrificed. If these people don't speak up, uh, they're not going to win re-election because the, anyone in the border city or been affected by this is uh, is incensed about what's happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it it is a very real issue. And yes, we have so many other things that get headlines, that get attention. But I think we have to remember, this hasn't uh, abated in any real sense. You hear from the Border Patrol agents from ICE. You know, they were told that the official numbers on deportations were down last month, meaning the people that um, were turned around or not accepted at the border or sent away um, from inside the U.S. And yet the numbers at the border were up. I mean, those who are coming here and crossing illegally. So that math is going to lead to an overflow of people that have to be addressed and helped and handled. Um, you can't pretend like it's gotten any better because nobody there on the border is saying that. And, and as you talk right. about, when you're pressing into uh, other areas and saying we're going to open this center and that center and we, we've got to you know, take over convention centers and this and that and the other, that doesn't telegraph to anybody uh, that it's gotten better. And we have to remember these are human beings, the cartels, the coyotes, the smuggling group. Yep. They've busted up major, just five major human smuggling situations in just the Rio Grande Valley sector. That's one sector. And these are people who are being terrorized and abused along the way. Even after they arrive, some of them, listen, the coyotes and the cartels, they know their families back home. They will threaten them and say, you have to give us more money. We're going to hurt your people at home. I mean, this isn't a simple situation for people. Um, we have to remember these are human beings. Yeah, they're being dropped over walls. We have video of it. Yeah. No one's really... Uh, talking about that i have two more topics one four former officers uh and derek chauvin have been indicted by the federal civil rights violations in the george floyd case that came back from a uh, a grand jury mm -hmm. where is that heading and what about a retrial on chauvin when it turns out that one of the jurors clearly was uh, uh was uh, obviously predetermined to convict him wearing a black lives matter shirt and appearing at anti uh, a pro george floyd protest Mm -hmm. And and he says he said a lot of interesting things. I mean, once jurors get out there and start talking, I mean that stuff is all potentially going to be used by Derek Chauvin's defense team to say um, this person had uh, a particular motive in wine, wanting to be seated to the jury um, that they didn't possibly tell the entire truth on their questionnaire um, for the jury. And I think if they don't get a new trial out of it, which is a you know listen, it's a high burden, they're going to include that in their appeal along with uh, the statements by Congresswoman Maxine Waters 
Bears. So, listen, his his defense team is going to use everything they can, and I think those are going to provoke some very interesting questions that the trial judge, and if not the trial judge, the appellate judge is going to have to answer. Um, not unexpected to me that these civil rights charges, the federal civil rights charges, would come out. Remember, those officers also are still facing the state criminal charges. So a very long road ahead before those things are um, ultimately decided. I mean, federal trials generally take even longer than state trials, so still a lot of action on multiple fronts in that case. Absolutely. The other thing I want to bring you up to is what's happening in Afghanistan. Here's Trey Gowdy on special report last night on what we can expect, because as we pull out, the Taliban are already pushing closer and closer to Kabul. Cut 13. Reasonable minds differ on this. Uh, It's a complicated issue, but... Brett, it's been a long war, but unfortunately, the war is not over. I I get that there are people who are tired of fighting it, uh, but it is not over, and it won't be over in our lifetime. I I can tell you, having served on the Intelligence Committee, I have no doubt that the United States will be able to gather intelligence, even if we do withdraw. But I do have doubts on whether or not we'll be able to act on it. You know, the general referred to an over-the-horizon force. That's great, but it's not as good as an around-the-corner force. Um, I I think we're going to be drugged back in uh, to conflict. The question is, how quick can we get there? I mean, it it seems inevitable. Are we going to be sitting there uh, watching the Taliban take back that country and wondering if we're going to continue to staff our embassy and then think to ourselves, if you fought this war and listening to us right now, what did I sacrifice for? Would I sacrifice my sight, my uh, my life, my limb, my my mental wellness for? It just doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, it's super frustrating because I think about, as you mentioned, the people who have gone there um, and lost American lives and people who are scarred forever because of their service there. I mean, Afghanistan is such a, like any, you know, place you go into, um, you know, in in a military incursion, it's very complicated. Ask ask the Russians, I mean, how it went for them dealing with Afghanistan. I mean, it, it is just a place that has so many competing interests and loyalties. And when you have the Taliban and others sitting there saying, great, you've given us a date on the calendar. Um, we're ready to go. Um, it, it's just incredibly unstable, and um, it's heartbreaking to think about the investment of American lives and other lives who have been trying to help the Afghan people um, and explain to their families um, what this was about now as we're leaving. And I do worry about the Afghan people who very much the vast majority of them um, want uh, to be able to make decisions about their country and their lives. They want to be free from oppression and terrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, and i and I got to wonder how they're going to feel about the American uh, now looking in the rearview mirror. I just know one thing. I feel great about your appearance today. Well, thanks. Me too. And, right. uh, you know, so I'm going to see if I can join you on the beach concert for your birthday tonight. I think that, you know, my invitation maybe got lost in the mail. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You know what? That. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to call, give you a call from your parents' house because that's where I'm going for lunch. Oh, so good. Listen, my mom would love to see you. She'll make you a nice meal. I just need the address. Tell everybody your address, please. <laughs> no? I'll text you. Okay, I'll text good. you. How about that? Uh, Hey, Lee Bryce coming up at the bottom of the hour, and then Dwight Gooden. It's the first time they've ever been in uh, on the same show together, <laughs> and, and along with Shannon Brave. Shannon, thanks so much. Have a great show tonight. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Okay, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Back in a moment. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm happy to take questions if that's what I'm supposed to do, Nance. Whatever you want me to do. Whatever happened to your promise from seven weeks ago that if Democrats flip the Senate, the checks were going out the door. Come on, Peter. Thank you. Go, guys. President, can you pass voting rights with the Senate filibuster in its current form, do you think? I can talk to you about that later. Come on, you guys. Come on, press. We're going to move out. Let's go, press. Who am I turning this over to? Uh, thank you very much, Mr. President. I think it's uh, time for the press, our friends in the press to leave, though. I'm sorry. I'm going to just the last question I'll take. And I, I'm really going to be in trouble. Is that unbelievable? I mean, he says the, the quiet part out loud, so to speak. Joe Biden has been told, and Jen Psaki confirmed to David Axelrod on his podcast, we try to get the president not to answer shouted questions uh, because he, they basically know, and David Axelrod said in his question, I'll paraphrase, that they know the president speaks his mind, doesn't always be politically correct, gets himself in some trouble. He said, we found that out. He kind of credited Jen Psaki for keeping him disciplined and on message. And you do that by not talking to the press. Fantastic. As opposed to the last president, they would literally say, go, 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 and walk up and down the line of reporters, all of which hate him, except for maybe one or two. Only 19% negative stories on Joe Biden so far. That is an all-time low. That is even lower than Barack Obama. 60% for Donald Trump in his first 60 days. He had 60%. I don't even know where the positive stuff came from. Uh, But, you know, it is their philosophy to keep Joe Biden out of trouble because, remember, he says stuff like, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Or remember, you can't go into a 7-Eleven without seeing someone with an Indian accent. Uh, All that stuff that he did, uh, you know, you watch him groping women standing for pictures. And all this stuff that when he's not scripted and disciplined, uh, he's a mess. Uh, those are in his heyday. This is not his heyday. I don't know if you noticed. Joel listening in Grand Rapids. Hey, Joel. Hey, good morning, Brian. Happy birthday to you. You Thank know, you. Um, Laura Logan, she's a hard act to follow because she said a lot, a lot of what I was thinking. And my point is I am tired in the media of everybody referring to this as a crisis because to my mind, and I know this in my heart, that to the squad, to VP Harris and to Biden, this is not a crisis. This is all by design. Russia said it many, many times. They desire a permanent underclass who needs them. It gives them power. That's why we are where we are. They knew what they were doing. It's all by design. And I just don't hear that enough. I, I don't know. Uh, I know that they don't have an out of interest. I don't know if they want 170,000 illegals streaming in the border. I know they don't like ICE. And the ICE is down to basically doing almost nothing which means there's going to be mass resignations, which plays right into what the squad wants, and now what Joe Biden wants. I mean, the Joe Biden of five years ago never would have tolerated this. Uh, it blows me away. But I don't know if they're scripting the hundreds of thousands to come across the border. I don't know that government officials are benefiting from the human trafficking that's taking place with the drug cartels. And I do know this. They lost 13 separate districts in Texas that they had won have been firmly Democratic. President Trump won last time because the president was strict at the border and it made their lives better and they weren't infringed upon and they weren't their kids weren't in crowded classrooms with kids that don't even know how to speak the language. And the president won those districts and their hope of voting over Texas was simply because their border policy, uh, Trump's border policy was great. Biden's just terrible. 
Uh, no one in Arizona is happy. No one in New Mexico is happy. No one in Texas is happy. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. All right, as we, as we told you throughout the show, and I hope if you're just tuning in now, we're in Panama City, kind of in the Florida panhandle. At News Talk 101, we're lucky enough to be carried on this station. It's one of our coveted affiliates. And they opened up the doors. They actually gave us breakfast. And one of the main reasons we're here, okay, the main reason we are here is Lee Bryce has, has decided to invite us down. Okay, we beg. And we get to see his concert tonight as they get set to ramp up and start uh, doing live events again as America gets set to go again. And first off, there was a bonfire last night, and it was unbelievable on these beaches. I know why everybody wants to come here now. And Lee Bryce, before we catch up to you tonight at the concert and go behind the scenes, and of course air it on Fox and Friends, you are joining us right now. Lee, are you just getting in from last night's party in the parking lot? <laughs> no, I've, I've uh, with the with the three kids and uh, the wife, I've things have settled down as of late, but. Uh, the bonfire was really awesome, and uh, I'm actually getting ready because I'm actually going to meet some of the students who we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm going to meet some of them here in just a few minutes, and uh, so I'm we're up and at them and rocking and rolling and uh, getting stuff prepared. All right. All right, a couple of things. Tell everybody around the country listening what this area means to you. They're going to see this on television next week, but can you give us an idea how special the Panama City region is? Well, you know, it's so it's it's kind of about a little outside of Panama City. It's it's uh, it's 30A is what a lot of people like to refer to it as. And I started coming down here with uh, one of my best friends, Joe Leathers. Um, he had a house down here. and It was just a quiet little family beach um, about 30, 15, 20 miles out of out of Panama City uh, to the west. And we would come down and we would just write we would dive into our hearts and like just it really became i mean and honestly the productivity was crazy because we were able to have to stop in the afternoon and go home and you know get our brain off of songs and so we wrote even even uh even a big song for me rumor uh here recently so you talk about 15 years of coming down here and then uh, really, it became more and more people started finding out about, about this area, and and more and more people started flooding in because it's just so right. beautiful. It's just yeah. a beautiful family-oriented place. So uh, Lee Bryce is with us now. Uh, we're in Panama City. He's going to be talking about this school and where we're going to meet you at with the camera shortly. But just so you know, to put Lee's success in perspective, eight number one singles – uh, three in a row, five studio albums, and if, especially if you talk to them like we've had a chance to do, the best is yet to come, uh, and you just won an award uh, on a duet. Tell us how that all came together and what you're up for with the Billboard Awards. So, well, uh, the duet was really special because, you know, it wasn't my song. It was a song that was somebody else's story. It was Carly Pierce's story. It was her song. She graciously invited me Um humbled me and said hey would you be a part of this song and heck she wrote it with one of the biggest artists on the planet uh and she still asked me to sing it with her so 
I I love the song, and so I obviously was, you know, I was like, I'd love to do it, and I, I was on the road, so I had to do the vocal from my bus. Luckily, I have a studio on my bus that I built to give me more time with my family, but so long story short, you know, song came together, we put it out, it's, it's a classic kind of a country song, and then we, next thing you know, it's number one, next thing you know, we're both on stage at the ACMs with, with you know, two uh, two wins, two pieces of hardware in each of our hands. Uh, it was a crazy, awesome moment, and uh, I was really, honestly, just to see her face, because she's, a lot of people would see her as an up-and-coming artist, but she's been working at it for so long, so I never like to look at it like that. Uh, but it was her first awards ever, and she just, I mean, she was about to jump out of her skin. She was so excited. So it was so so cool to watch. Absolutely. And uh, it just goes to show you, um, you know, you never know. You get that call, you join other people you write for with Tim McGraw, and no one really knew who Lee Bryce was. We know you started your own label, which is great. But, uh, Lee, in the big picture, this last year has been like no other for everybody listening, but for performers especially. Did you ever think people were going to deny you a stage? You've been denied an audience and a stage. What changes this year? How can people catch up with you? And what are the limitations if they go to see you? Because we know about what the Yankees are doing as opposed to what the Rangers are doing. What are the the rules? You know, it kind of sucks because the worst part about this whole thing has been the unknown, right? Because we, since the very beginning... None of us knew when or what or where or how or why. And a lot of it's the why that kind of puts me in a place of like, well, I don't understand how we can have a lot of people doing this over here, but we can't have people at a, at a, at a concert. But we got through it. We figured out ways to do it via, you know, via cameras and like online virtual stuff. And we even did some concerts that were, People had to sit in their trucks and stay in their cars and that kind of thing, which was it was odd. But listen, we had to pay our bills and we had to go do it. And now things are they're they're calling it opening it up. It, it is opening back up. Um, we've we've done a couple of shows and they've been uh, I guess half capacity. Um, and it really does depend on, like you said, it kind of depends on where you are. Like so, you know, if you're in Texas or if you're in. You know, we were out in the Midwest, and we were able to really kind of put on a show. And, man, it felt good to be in, in front of real people, you know, <laughs> singing back at us, you know, and, like, screaming back and, like, clapping and that energy. And, I mean, because there's a hole in our hearts, us, us, us entertainers. And uh, so, you know, all we know is when they call us and they have their rules and what they're going to do, we're going to go play because that's what we're here to do. That's, I mean, we have a job to do just like – everybody in America has a job to do. And it's like, please let us go to work, you know? And so Thank we're you. ready. So Lee, you're not, not only a, a performer, you're a, you're a husband and you're a father and these kids got to get back in school. And depending on where you are, the kids are either back in school. They don't know what you're talking about, or you're in California and you're sitting there uh, at home or you're in the classroom and your teachers are at home. It's sickening. Can you understand this sentiment? This was the story at a hearing in front of the Board of Education in Utah through kids and parents. Listen to this. You let a senator come up here and speak in the name of my children who you guys are abusing? Are you serious? You will listen to us. No. We've had our citizen participation. No more masks. No more masks. No more masks. No more masks. 
meeting. I'll second. We have a motion to adjourn and a second. All in favor, say aye. They're going to leave. They're going to So do you hear this chaos, Lee? Do you feel their pain wow. and frustration? Yeah, well, I mean, I, it, it, it was one of the hardest things in the world to, to deal with the very beginnings of this and, and our kids and, and schools. And like, they were like, well, you didn't sign up in time. So your kid can't go to school. He has to be home. I'm like, well, he's six. You know, how, <laughs> how, how do you, how do you expect him to sit in front of a computer and learn how to like, first of all, it wasn't all working great, which is, not to the fault of, I mean, they're trying their best, I guess, you know, at the schools, you know, because the rules are the rules. And, and, and it's like, but, man, it was, like, impossible. It was like they lost a year of school. And luckily, uh, there were some teachers and some, uh, a lot of teachers who said, you know what, this is, this is just ridiculous. So we're going to go find a building, and we're going to all go here. And if y'all want to bring your kids here, we will teach them their curriculum. Because really? we got so... Yes, and it was it was that it, was for my middle child, and and for my young my youngest. She's but she's only three, so that was a little little easier. But my oldest, you know, we were able to get him into school, but they literally don't have a break. They can't take their mask off at any time. Um, they don't have a recess. They don't have. PE and if they are if they if they do go outside if they I think they finally started having like PE which is I guess what I call it you know physical education class they would go run a mile or go do this and they still had to wear it was just there's something about the fact that like okay we're outside we're away from each other we could take a mask off for a minute you know what I mean like just it's common sense stuff but you want um, to get your kids back in school. You were willing to sign any waivers to put them back in school because you know the risk is so low. And in Utah, these yeah. boards don't even listen to the parents. And that's happening all across the country. The parents are powerless for their own kids. And, and, and really, it's, it's, it sucks for the parents because they have got to provide. And, 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 and they, can't, they can't provide if they got to be there every second with the kids during school. And they and they they if they can't provide that means they can't afford to find some tutor or some nanny or something to come exactly. in and do it for. The truth is, even over, they're not really learning. You know, they're not. And a lot of school, like early on, is is more about being with other kids and learning how to adapt to life. You know, learning how, it's not as much about some of the the teaching. You know, and but they're not learning. You know, I'm like my kid's not learning. He's either going to get in school or right. I'm taking him out, and I'm going to find something else. And that's what we did. And, you know, luckily, you know, God worked everything out, and we got it We got it going. But, man, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. And I can't and, imagine kids that are still going through right. that right now. I just can't See, imagine it. I can't imagine having the talent of Lee Bryce and the success you've had, but, I, but everyone can relate to that story because it doesn't matter how big your house is or what you do for a living. We're all going through the same thing. Lee, if people want yeah. to catch up to you on the road this year, you're going to be performing. Where do they go? Man, you know, you just check. You can go check out LeeBrice.com, Instagram, okay. all that stuff. It's really simple to find. Um, but, we, yes, we are. We're on the road a lot. And, we, I mean, in fact, my wife is a little bit freaked out because I've been home for a year now. <laughs> <laughs> and now she sees the calendar. And we're about to go out. We're about to play a lot of shows. 
and so we're gonna have to we're gonna work through that, but we got to catch up. You know, we got we got a whole year to make up for. And uh, so yeah, right. check us out. We'll be we'll be out there everywhere. We appreciate you. Right, and get ready. He's got some new music to download, and we're gonna bump out with uh, you and Carly Pierce uh, with your award-winning <laughs> song. And uh, and Lee, we're gonna go behind the scenes with you, and you're gonna see it on Fox and Friends uh, next week. Lee, thanks so much for the access, and we'll see you later. Absolutely, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. There's the young right-hander. Dwight Gooden, he will go through this season 19. He will not turn 20 until November. Gets his first strikeout here. The Astros down in order in the first. Dwight Gooden, impressive. A couple of ground balls on the right side, and then he strikes out Dickie Thon. Uh, but the best was yet to come in a major way. Might have been one of the uh, uh, unroute to one of the best pitching careers ever. And still had an outstanding one. He pitched for the Mets from 1984 to 94. The Yankees from 96, 97, and 2000. Finished up with Cleveland and Houston. But mostly, in my book, he's known as a Met, even though he threw a no-hitter no with the Yankees. Dwight Gooden, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, how you doing, buddy? Also, happy birthday to you, and thanks for having me. Oh, no How's problem. Everything? Well, you sound, you sound great. I'm, I'm excited because everything you've done in your career, people are always walking up to you, they're handing you stuff and saying, Dwight, I was there. Can you sign this picture? Now you have you guys, and I've been talking to a lot of athletes about this. You're getting control of this with, with this Athlete Direct. So relive that moment. But since you gave us that moment, why can't you uh, actually benefit from that? Can you tell me about, before we talk about your career and what's happening in baseball, can you tell me about Athletes Direct? Yes, uh, Athletes Direct is a thing I got together with Brendan Steiner, who's a good friend, and I thought it was a great thing he's doing. Um, and the thing is, like, like for his fans, they go to autograph signings or that games or whatever they see, they get an autograph or take a picture. Try to give them something different that – um. They can remember something I can connect with. Um, so, for instance, like my no-hitter is coming up. The anniversary, my 25th year anniversary is coming up for the no-hitter. For the Yankee fans, um, give them something. And then on the picture, I'm talking about what it was and what I was going through, the emotions I had during the game towards my relationship with my father because it ended up being the last game he saw me pitch before he passed away. I was supposed to go home to be with him. Unfortunately, we just have um, open-heart surgery the next day, but I He'll want me to pitch because he's always talk about family value, putting your job first, not letting your teammates down, and stuff like that. So I talk about that on the photos. Uh, we got different games from um, baseball cards, like my rookie card, my first game. And so I'm writing little notes on there as well to help the fans, you know, reminisce a little bit with that instead of just being a, just an autograph. So we just do all it differently, and it's my way of connecting with the fans and also of my way of saying thank you to the fans from all the energy and support they've given me through my career on the field and off the field. You know, a lot of times there are athletes that are just, you know, they can't do anything right. I remember Dave Winfield when he came to New York. It's like since he wasn't Reggie Jackson, didn't have a big postseason, people never gave him much slack or credit. Maybe the same thing yeah. with Giancarlo G- uh, Stanton now. Even though he does some great things, he's hitting about 500 now. Uh, people are all over yeah. him every time he strikes out. You're the opposite. I, I, I'm, we're about the same age, so I'm watching you, and I couldn't believe I was watching a professional player my age on the mound. I feel like uh, New York especially was always pulling for you. How do you explain that through the ups and downs? Think, yeah, you, and you're right. I think um, one of the things, like, I think what the fans really want, and in my situation, what I believe from talking with fans and talking with the organization and around New York is, as long as you give it 100%, 
every time out on the field and they know that and they see that and you accept responsibility when things are not going well on the field. I just try to tell guys all the time, if the fans boo you, they're booing your performance because technically they don't know you as a person, but, and then you as the uh, player, a performer, what have you, you know whether you do good or bad that particular day. So it's just booing that performance and you can't take it personally. Unfortunately, a lot of players, good players have come from, small markets into New York and couldn't handle the pressure, you know, in front of whether it's the media, the fans, expectations, what have you. Right. And for as off the field, the problems I've had, I've always been very open. I always, I never justified anything. I took full responsibility for any time I fell or, or, you know, dropped my guard or got in trouble, whether it's with the law, drugs, what have you. I, I accepted up to it. I owned it. I got better. I learned from it. And I tried to move on from it, but I never shot away. And I think they appreciate that. I never point fingers whether I do good or bad. Um, and I think the fans, they understand that. And, and when I'm around the fans or anybody else, I try to be – I'm just one of them. I always say, you know, I'm no different than anybody else. I just have a different job. That's right. why I was brought up as a kid. We're all brothers and sisters at the end. It doesn't matter. Like I was raised, it didn't matter if you're the president or your homies. At the end of the day, we're all brothers and sisters. And that's the way I was brought And I think just my opinion and from what I was told, the fans and the people around New York see that. And they understand I'm not different than them, just a different job, and I try to treat everyone the same. So when I've had my downfalls, they've given me, you know, a shot to get back on feet, even though some people probably, you know, maybe turn it back and say certain things. And, and that's okay. That's their opinion. I get it. I mean, um, but I never shot away from any of that stuff. And I'm going to make more mistakes, hopefully not the same ones I've made before. And I, and I accept it. I live up to it. I own it. And I try to get better and learn from it. Go to Athletes uh, Direct uh, uh, right now. Uh, go to AthleteDirect.com. Relive those moments with Dwight Gooden. Uh, Dwight, always great to talk to you. Glad you're doing great. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.